Welcome to another edition of Amplified by Ampere. This is a podcast that we put out to share our stories of engineering culture and to introduce folks outside the company to what we're doing technically and culturally. In this episode, we actually have an intern and his one of his mentors here with us. We have Justin Newsom from North Carolina State University, who's an undergrad there doing computer science, computer engineering. Uh, he's been working here in our firmware team. Hi there, Justin. Hi, Mahesh. Joining us also is Arjun Kari, a principal engineer in the firmware and software development team, also in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Arjun. Hey, Mahesh. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. So one of the things that we like to do here as part of the intern experience is allow our interns to participate in the podcast and to interview their mentors. Uh, and so we're going to start off here, and I'm going to allow you, Justin, to take it away. Yeah, so first things we want to talk about is Mash actually mentioned he actually doesn't know what you do. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do because you're my manager. Sure, but sure. Um, I, you know, we wanted to ask you, what's your day to day look like, uh, and what do you, what is your role at Ampere? Yeah, so I am the uh, the manager for three teams here at Ampere. One is called RAS, that's Reliability, Availability, and Serviceability. And that team basically, you know, on, on a, a platform in silicon. I think what I always tell people is. There's always, uh, not always, but there there can be errors in the system, either from bit flips or, or whatnot. Maybe some silicon is kind of, uh, maybe hasn't gone through the process very well or whatnot. And our customers are very interested actually in, in knowing, you know, what kind of errors are occurring on their system. You know, is the DDR throwing a lot more errors than, uh, you know, average on a particular platform or some PCIe peripheral, same thing, or maybe even the silicon, you know, maybe just, you know, the complexity we work at, there may be one piece of silicon that somewhere in the process didn't come out right. And and my theory or, you know, my belief is why would you do this? One is, well, you know, you can kind of qualify parts and and see if they're good or bad, but then imagine if you are one of our customers who who provides silicon as, you know, essentially a, a platform for other people to do their work on. And you would hate for them to be running a workload and suddenly the silicon just crashes, right? Because a crash is like kind of, I mean, obviously it's bad, right? It just happens out of nowhere. It's not planned. You don't know what data you've lost. How do you recover from that, et cetera? So, you know, one thing you could do is say like, oh, hey, look, that platform's bad. Like, let's just pull it from the farm, replace it or replace the DIM or replace the PCIe or whatever may be kind of not seeming right. You can maybe pre-address it. And so that that's one team that we have. The other two teams I have are teams that implement what's known as the UFI standard. So that team is one is called the EDK2 team. Uh, EDK2 is an open source implementation of the UFI standard. And there's another team called Aptio, which we are essentially porting American Megatrends or AMI. They have a proprietary implementation of the UFI standard. And so we are taking their proprietary solution and customizing it for our platform. And we work that we partner closely with AMI. So it's not that they just give it to us, we hand it back, you know, eight months later, we, we you know, we meet with them constantly and work together on that. And to be um, clear, that that's like BIOS and board firmware. And so that's on. right. That's right. Yeah. UFI is uh, the universal extensible firmware interface or, or something close to that. And, and the way I explain that to people is when you take, let's say, Linux, a Linux distro Ubuntu, it's not that they make a Linux I mean, a Ubuntu distro for the Dell, you know, laptop of this brand and then the Lenovo laptop of that brand or the Dell desktop, right? It's just one ISO and it works everywhere. And, how, you know, and it, but it still can tell how much memory you have, how many CPUs you have, all all the stuff that's specific to your setup, right? You may have stuck in some cards that, that didn't come from the manufacturer. Eufy is the, the part that kind of makes that happen. Eufy is the part that it's what bridges from the OS down to the actual hardware. And, and there are, there's parts that are running all the time that are not, you know, your Linux part, and then it provides hooks to those. But that's the point of Eufy is to, to be that interface from the hardware, the platform, maybe pieces of software that are always running way, way low to, to the OS. So, yeah. And so those are the three teams that are working on Ampere One. We have teams that worked on Ultra. So my teams are working on the Ampere One implementation of those. Cool. So that's, that's like the glue layer, right, between the hardware and the operating environment. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think you could call that it's the glue layer. It's, it's yeah, it's how it's how software generically knows about the hardware that it that it has. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, and I'm on the RAS team. Sure. Um, under uh, Tyler Bicar, my mentor. Right. And you're my manager. And I wanted to bring up that 
as an intern, I've actually worked on something like quite sizable for an internship. Uh, I've been given a project to independently create a addition to a common open source tool, the RAS daemon, which typically just takes error logs and then records them to a local database or it just gives a log, a trace log. And I was tasked to create a MySQL implementation mm-hmm. so that a local prototype machines all within the Imperial network can take errors and then upload them to a central place so we can identify errors over a wide network. Sure. Like you said, like some errors are due to the process of making a chip and some errors are due to software. And when you have really rare errors, like one in a million, it can be hard to tell what actually caused it. Yep. And so aggregating all that data into one database helps notice trends to put it all together and figure out what's actually causing errors. And that's not insignificant, especially sure. for an intern to do yep. almost independently with guidance. Yeah, yeah. That, That's typically something that would have an engineer and a intern would typically shadow. Sure, um, sure. Especially from what I've heard of other internships, you know, for context, this is my first internship. Mm-hmm. Most internships just comprise of shadowing until maybe your second year of interning there and then they'll actually let you you know take a ticket or two sure but you know i came here and within a week i had been shown the basic ropes of things given a project and i was kind of let to go on my own and then whenever i ran into a roadblock i talk out of tyler and he would teach me how i would teach myself to get around roadblocks sure sure yeah Yeah, he actually taught me how to be a better engineer so i kind of want to ask that's such a unique way of doing an internship Mm -hmm. What, what's like your philosophy or your mindset behind internships and assigning those kind of things rather than the typical shadowing or sure. frivolous tasks? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I mean, I was an intern a long time ago uh, at the beginning, and mine was also implementation of a test tool, actually. And so the, the model you've described where you shadow someone is, is something I'm personally unfamiliar with. But I guess my philosophy for an internship, uh, there's a lot of facets to it. One is from the intern's perspective. You know, I, I hope the intern, you know, like yourself, will learn something, will get a good sense of the company they're at, Ampere, what's the culture like, what do we do, is this a place you'd like to work at long term, right? Like, can you make that decision? Because you're here for 12 weeks, you're working with all of us, uh, you know, it's not a 30-minute conversation. So you'll see truly what we do. I think also, though, you know, you would like that internship to be productive. Now, again, from the intern's side, I mean, I honestly say told told my tech leads, like, this should be something that they can put on their resume. It should be useful. You don't want to kind of walk out of an internship 12 weeks later and be like, I'm not sure what I did, right? Like, that's off, you know, honestly, like, that's just not good in in many facets. So I, I like to say that the intern should be able to say, yeah, I was at Ampere, I interned, I did this cool thing. And it's something that they can put on their resume. Not not that I want you to go somewhere else, but I mean, that's that's a true fact of how things should be. Uh, from our perspective, we want to give you something useful to do. I mean, I would like the interns to want to work here. So if I give you kind of something kind of odd or you're just shadow, I mean, I don't know. Why would that attract you to come to work at Ampere? Probably the free restroom <laughs> treats. So free, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that's that's one. But um, we want you to be here. But I think also, you know, we're a small company, relatively speaking. We're a startup. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of people. So you know, maybe I will give, you know, depending on the intern, depending on where they're working on, yeah, maybe they're doing, let's say, quote, something in the production line, or maybe they're doing like a test tool or whatever. But I don't feel like that we have the bandwidth or the time to say, hey, intern, go work on something that we're going to throw away the day you walk out the door. Like that's, I I don't know if other places do that. I I can't speak to that. I've never seen that really happen, you know, in in my experience when I, when I, I had interns, but I want whatever the intern works on to be productive and to have use to us as well, right? So that's kind of, I want it to be real work. I want it to be something that an intern who's only here for 12 to 16 weeks and, you know, honestly is still in school can achieve, right? Or can achieve some part of it. And I want it to be, you know, productive from both ends, from our end and from from the intern's end. So that's, I don't know, hopefully that explains it, but that's that's what I think an internship should be. Yeah, it also goes... Uh, towards the mentors that actually uh, are kind of curating these interns and and they really care deeply about you know you you mentioned Tyler and how he wants to make sure that you know how to catch fish right you know how to unblock yourself and that's part of our culture 
of being, um, you know, Renee built this company based on learning and growth and mentorship. And uh, we are propagating that now to the next generation. And so we cannot afford to take an intern and put them in the corner and make them write scripts for us. Right. right. It's not something that we can afford to do. What we can only afford to do is put them in the critical path, just like everybody else at this company. And you have something really meaty to work on that actually shows uh, real value at the end of the summer. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that part about learning too, right? Because I think you've mentioned you've learned some things. And I, I think it should be a, a good learning opportunity as well. Because one, one of the things too is, you know, when you're in school, and you write software, I mean, it may be even a thousand lines or whatever, but, you know, it's done. You turn it in and it's done and you never look at it again. And if you've mis you know, labeled your variables or you had a memory leak or whatever, it's, it's kind of immaterial. As long as it achieved whatever the professor wanted it to achieve here, you're going to have five eyeballs perhaps doing a code review. It's going to be long lived. Right. So it can't it, it, it's it, and, and, and the, the one other part is. Um, I mean, your project's a little different because it, you know you have this this uh, this one piece to yourself right now. But there's parts that you'll maybe find out, like there's software that you have no idea what it does, and actually there's no way for you to find out. You don't have the time to go find because there's ten people working on it for ten years, so there's no way to learn what it does. So understanding your part, understanding that you interface to other parts, like that can also be part of it. So, but yeah, my hashtag, I appreciate what you said, right? I mean, the educational part of it too is like you should come out of this, you know, your eyes maybe a little bit wider, you know, on things you've learned. I remember when I started here, I had been doing a lot of coding, a lot of work. And I remember <clears throat> turning to Cohen's like, you know, I, I've been love doing all this coding, all this work, but I would love to like learn about company culture, talk to engineers and other things. And she says, well, that's part of the internship too. I don't know why you're burying your head in coding. Go out there and talk to people. And so I set up one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews with everyone on the RAS team. I had learned a lot of things about like coding best practices. The culture of coding was a big thing mm -hmm. and the culture of engineering, because that's something I don't learn in school. And it's something I came here and I actually learned, you know, it's all about constantly learning. And that's what I, if I had to say left this internship with one thing, it's, I now know how to learn a lot better. Okay. Um, okay. I could say I learned my SQL. I've learned code practicing standards for C. I've learned better get commit etiquette. But what I really learned is probably what a lot of people call Google Foo, just being able to learn really well. Like I'll go up to Tyler and say, do you know how to do this? And he says, you know, I've contributed to this repo, but I don't remember how to do this. And so now I have this confidence of being able to take on things, you know, it might take me a while, but now I feel confident to learn and grow and actually apply yeah. new knowledge. And you think, you know, I've been a student, everyone's been a student for decades of their life, but there's a type of learning in the workplace, you know, when you're a professional that is wholly different. It's synthesizing all these random pieces of information yes. or just finding where the information is yep. that becomes a skill of itself. I was going to say one of the things that we value in, in our team is that vector of growth. And so there could be people at different levels, but if their growth trajectory is pointed like you know sloped much higher than someone else's i would choose someone who's more junior but has a higher learning path than someone who perhaps doesn't care to be learning and so yeah. that's that's the thing what is your vector where are you going towards yeah it, i i i think also i mean what i find you know kind of a forward-leaning company like ours good engineers you know, you may come out of school or you may say, I have years of experience in MySQL or whatever, but that's rarely, that's a foundation and it's not enough to solve the job. And I, I think, again, if, if we go back to the internship frame, right, when you do a problem set at school and they've told you, you know, Thevenin's theorem or reduction, I, I forget because I, I, I did poorly on that, but um, <laughs> they tell you the Thevenin reduction. Well, the next problem set is go do the Thevenin reduction. And then you yeah. just do it and, you know, it's like, well, what the professor said, I go do this and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I think in a in a, a good engineer for me is not someone who can figure out how to do it. It's they can figure out how to figure out how to do it Yeah. because we'll have bugs and you're just like, I have no idea how to solve this because it's not, you know, the simple bugs you figure out. But then there's bugs which you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm not even sure what debugging technique or tool I should use. Who should I talk to? what's you know and then you just have to work that problem and you're figuring out how to figure it out and then once you figure out how to figure it out then you figure it out and and so i think that's what makes the work interesting i think that's what makes a good engineer is someone who can do that and then of course there's the other side of that which is at some point you need to go talk to somebody too because you don't want to go down 
down the rabbit hole. So it's it's good to reach out as well. I think over the course of this summer, I've learned that the most valuable thing that college gave me wasn't the how of anything. It's it's very unlikely that I'm going to reach a point in my career where I'm going to need to know how to reduce a circuit to the you know just a resistor and a voltage source. But what I did learn was I learned vocabulary. Mm-hmm. That is what I probably got the most out of university was the language. Sure. Because I come here and I realized working on this project that projects quickly bloom out into a lot of different problems. I need to learn all these little things all over the place. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have a vocabulary to understand what people said to me, then I wouldn't be able to learn what they said. So I went into college thinking that I was going to know everything, you know, and then I leave college realizing I know nothing, but now I know all the fancy words people use and what they mean so I can then learn. Right. Because you have the foundation. You understand the the lingo, right? I come here knowing what bits and bytes and all that are. I didn't know what a BMC was, but I understand the concept. You understand the concept. And I think, I think the key is a you can always learn what a BMC is. Yeah. But I mean, if you don't know what bits and bytes are, then you're really in trouble. Right? Yeah. Right. That's in 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 a lot of those foundational things continue on. Right. Like, oh, it's an interrupt, or I'm polling, or is that single threaded, multi threaded? Like all these concepts. I mean, I still have those conversations, right? But I learned those, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, you're still having those concepts. You're still debugging based upon those concepts. So yes, you're right. The lingo and what's what the, what's behind that lingo is is uh, is kind of key. Yeah. Understanding that language that the field communicates in. Yes. Working on the project, there's always things you go into the project, there's always little micro problems you didn't even consider that you're going to run into. Right. Um, One of them was I needed to put in the database what chip it was running on. And I had no idea how to do that. I asked Tyler, how do I do that? He says, I've done it before. I don't remember how. (laughs) And so he showed me, he said a few words that I knew. He says, Oh, it's stored somewhere in the Linux header files. I'm like, I know what Linux header files are. Right, mean. yes, yeah. Those three words. Yeah, yeah. And then I just went off on my little adventure and I figured out how to do it. Right. Yeah. It's just understanding that language. And that's what you really get out of college. And I've learned that that's what was most valuable. And now coming to the internship, the actual learning starts after college. Yeah, yes. I, I, you know, you think that college is your education, but then it turns out it's the tutorial, yeah. it's the onboarding. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think if you have in a, if you're in a good place, mm-hmm. the learning never stops. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what keeps it interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, you know, my internship's coming to a close. I think it's going to be a bit of whiplash going from the pace of learning here and all the new things that I'm hearing about all the time back to going back um, to school and learning those things. Um, it also guides you, though. One of the things I learned after my internships was I learned how to work and how to be efficient. And so when I went back to school for my final few quarters, I was never behind on any programming assignment. I was never behind on any homework. I just kind of cranked it out. And I realized at that point, I was like, oh, I don't need to be in school anymore. Mm-hmm. I've, I've accomplished the ability of being efficient at learning. And then it was time for me to graduate. And so you may have this experience, too, because, you know, you're working at such a faster pace now that school will just seem like streamlined for you at this point. Yeah, personally, that I do think that's something I was struggling with before school, because I've definitely got a very practical mindset. You know, I've always struggled in classes with abstract concepts like I'm bad at math, great at physics. You give me an equation that is meaningless, my brain just shuts off. Yes. And so when it comes to school, I've always had a hard time because they hand me an arbitrary circuit and I think this is arbitrary and my brain just doesn't want to do it. And then coming to do an internship, every single problem is practical and actually exists Yes. by the nature of it's an actual company. And so I've learned to, yeah, as you were saying, be productive, be hardworking because I'm in this place that motivates you naturally because the problems themselves are interesting, which is something that you kind of lose in college because so many problems are mundane, repetitive, and like quite literally made up for the sake of doing them. Sure. sure yeah. Just, yeah. Just to learn that particular principle or technique or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. So let's move on to one of our other topics. Sure. What do you look for in interns? What do I look for? Well, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the, the first part is, is, is just, um, there is a level of skill and and uh, you know ability that they have to have, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't hire someone unless they've you know hasn't done C coding mm-hmm. because if they come here 
we're not sure what they can do, right? So, so there, there's just the minimum, you know, bar of, you know, essentially educational experience they have to have had. You know, and then I think there's just kind of like, I like to see people who are curious, who are enthusiastic, you know, I like to ask people like, tell me about your projects, you know, even your school project, because, you know, going back to the, can you figure out how to figure out how, you know, did you, did you, you know, some projects at school are maybe just, you know, you just have to do what it is, but sometimes there'll be projects at school that are like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. What did you do? And often from the response, you'll find out that either they just took the most mundane path, their friends did all the cool stuff, they weren't interested in doing the cool stuff, or did they do the cool stuff? Did they go, hey, yeah, I tried this, and, you know, I was using a stack, and it, this happened, so I used a cue, you know, whatever, but they kind of have a story, a, a war story over their projects. And those are the people that I find, I think those are going to make good engineers, because they're curious. Yeah, I, I think I look for people who have have interesting projects or made their project interesting. And when they talk about their projects, you can kind of see their eyes light up. You know, you can see their eyes like, oh, yeah, you know, this happened, that happened, and then this happened. And so we did that, you know, like they, they can just talk to you. And, it, you know, I always say some of the coolest things turn out to be a missing semicolon, you know, or a missing equal sign or you messed up something. But the the journey to figure that out or the journey to fix it, that's if they have those stories or they have that indication of that, that's that's what I find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Arjun is, you know, talking about when when we're interviewing or, you know, vetting candidates, we're looking for that signal. That signal that shows you're enthusiastic about something. And if you're enthusiastic about something, then you can get enthusiastic about something else too. Yeah, that's a great way to distill that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that very specifically relates to my experience going through the interview process because I remember when I was going through the the interview process, I was at a career fair. It was online because we were deep in the pandemic at that point. And, you know, I was at a pretty low point because I'd been doing school online. Nothing was that interesting. And I figured I got to go to career fair. I got to find an internship or something. Mm -hmm. And I signed up for a few companies. You know, I went to Ampere and then I talked to Nicole, the university talent. She, she said, hi, we're Ampere. We do arm server processors mm -hmm. and i just perked up i was like you do what now sure you do you know and then that whole conversation just turned into me geeking out about arm and mm -hmm. vertical integration to computing and specialized applications of hardware and then eventually she was asking me for phone recommendations because she needed a new phone and i had been geeking out about why certain <laughs> phones are better than others okay and so this was supposed to be a 30 minute talk it went on for an hour and it's okay. just me geeking out about what ampere does sure and then i get a call back and i'm you know i'm on walking out of class in the middle of the road trying to get to my car and i get the call back and i'm just like jumping up and down like like i'm silly and <laughs> And I remember Nicole at one point during the thing says, you're an undergrad, you're not as experienced as we usually hire, but I like your enthusiasm, kid. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. And I remember I came in for the technical interview with Tyler, and he actually only asked me one technical question because I was so pumped about sure, it. Sure. He knew that I must know a lot because I can't stop talking about sure, it. Sure, sure. I must have spent way too much time researching stuff. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, just part of that interview process, so much of it, they rewarded my genuine enthusiasm yeah. for what Ampere does. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it helps because, I mean, are you looking for an internship or are you looking for, you know, an internship, right? I mean, like, are you excited about where you're going to go? And I think that always helps that you, if you are. Since you were chatting and you, you were talking about all the positive aspects here of Ampere, uh, I want to share that the internship is kind of like a really long interview and it's not just an interview of you know in one direction it's also the intern is judging this company and its culture and the technical projects that we have to figure out do you want to come back again so that's a question for you <laughs> what yeah. do you see here that you enjoy and would you come back again history of me i come from a really rural area I'm, I'm sure my southern accent is coming through quite a bit you know i actually come from a family of tow truck drivers i'm the first one to like go to school mm -hmm. be an engineer i'm not from like a line of engineers and i didn't have a computing class in high school no programming but i loved computers mm -hmm. you know as a kid i was the one who uh 
really liked cables and plugging in all the video game consoles and TV boxes, and I knew all my cables. Yep, yep. And eventually that just turned into, in high school, I just started reading you know, literal paper books on computing, which is funny to think about. Because when I go to college, people are talking about high school. They had Java and Python right, classes. Right, right, right. And I'm reading physical paper books. And a lot of those were like history books on the uh, history of engineering from like the 80s and 90s. Mm. I fell in love with that culture of all the little quirks, like how engineers fight over prototype boards to try and test their things or the divide between hardware and software and how, mm-hmm. you know, the cooperation or the playful teasing from time to time, mm-hmm. you sure. know. It's like, oh, my software is slow. Well, maybe it's because of your bad hardware. <laughs> maybe you should have better software. And I Just remember, the other day, you you and I were geeking out of some of the books that, that you yeah. enjoyed. So it, yeah, like, you, know, you found your yes. tribe, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, you talked to – I have mentioned the book Soul of a New Machine and The Last Lecture, two books that I mm. probably inform who I am as a person quite deeply. And every time I bring those books up, no one has ever heard of them. Talking to Mahesh yesterday to prep for this podcast, I mentioned I've read books that made me fall in love with the culture of computing. Uh, He whipped it out. It was sitting on his desk. And I remember I texted my girlfriend right after that phone call, and I said, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. Because (laughs) these these people have heard of the book to have it on hand. There you go. There you go. Nice job, Mahesh. Next level. (laughs) We read your mind. The guy from Carnegie Mellon? Mm -hmm. Okay. And Brown. Remember that? Oh, okay. I'm hey. a Carnegie Mellon guy, so I'm a Brown guy. So we're both covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last lecture is definitely more of um a life philosophy book, and then yeah. Soul of a New Machine is definitely like an engineering philosophy book, and then probably the book I read in high school that made me fall in love with the types of problems computing faces would be Code. Um, I can't remember the author of it, but it goes into the mechanics of communicating information and the history of it. So it went through hieroglyphs and how they communicate information. Then it goes through mm-hmm. Braille, Morse code, like the problems that they propose and then how they fix them, you know, extrapolated all of those teachings throughout history from those different codes and how we translate that to binary and logic. And it's the fundamental point of the book is, isn't it crazy that we basically invented just an automated light switch and it went this crazy you know, we invented the automated light switch, and now we have YouTube, Google, you know, iPhones, social media. Yep. Yep. Just because we take the ability to communicate yes or no, and we right. extrapolate it beyond belief. Like, we yes. take it to the most absurd levels. Yep. And then I come to Ampere, and I'm handed this giant monster of a chip. And that's all that's going through my brain is thinking of, you know, the little teaching of braille and morse code led to this sure yeah 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 yeah. absolutely yeah we we taught a rock how to think (laughs) yeah yeah that is yeah i mean i think uh i remember when i went to college i did computer engineering for my undergrad Mm -hmm. and uh i remember the only reason i did that was because in high school they kept saying computers are just ones and zeros and the you know the professor not the teacher would just go it's just ones and zeros and i was like I don't understand how just ones and zeros turns into like an A or a B appearing on the screen, right? This is like we're talking the 80s. So this, I guess this makes no sense that it's just ones and zeros. Like, I mean, what, what does that mean? And so in, in, in uh, undergrad, you know, we went through and you learned C and you learn computer architecture and then we're learning microcode. I remember there was a particular class where in the class, the professor said, and then this happens. And then I was like, ah, so I could start from writing C code to compiling to it coming down to, you know, turning into these things, turning into these things, turning into these things. And we had learned all the way up from like, you know, BJT circuits and what, you know, all the electrical engineering stuff all the way up. And I was like, aha, now I know ones and zeros. It's all ones and zeros. Like I could make the entire chain in my head uh, and I can't do that now, but I could then. And I was like, well, that's it. You know, here I am three and a half years into school. I finally have figured it out <laughs> or, or, you know, learned, learned what's, what's going on. But, but to your point, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's amazing, you know, what we're doing. If you look here at Ampere, right, at the the workloads we're doing, the number of cores we put on a piece of silicon is somehow no one else thought to do it. No one thought to do it at the scale we're doing it. And so it's a brand new problem. And I think people like it. So it's kind of cool, you know. I, I remember my first day of my internship, someone walked to my desk and says, hey, have you seen an Ultra Max before? And I just went, no. And then they handed me and I, I was speechless. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've built a 
personal computer before in like high school and I've seen like a consumer CPU and I look at an Ultra Max and I'm like, how do they even make that? Yes. <laughs> like it's as big as your hand. Yeah. And it's just crazy to think how much had to go into that. Yeah. I think there's this like spark that you see in every computer or electrical engineer where they learn those little interactions and they get more excited than normal people would. There's so many layers in the in the stack down from bits yeah. to you know, silicon and the you know the firmware operating system and then C code and now all of a sudden there's like these loosely typed languages and node.js and all this other stuff on top. And you have to figure out where do your where is your enthusiasm? Yeah. Where what floats your boat at what level? And and you may love the OS and hate hardware, or you may love no Dutch AS but not know anything you know beneath it. And and this is like the differentiation of our industry. And people in in your computer science classes, they may enjoy being at the higher level and not want to know what's happening down here. And you have been infected by this bug of wanting to know what's what the bits are doing. And that's why you ended up here. That's right. That's right. I had a professor tell me, you're going to hit a point where you don't care how it works anymore. Yep. I remember (laughs) thinking, nope, there's not a point. I want to know how everything works. (laughs) And then I got to the physics of electricity in a circuit class. And I just, I was sitting in that class and I'm like, I found it. I don't care about this anymore. I dropped out of that class because I just did not want to learn about how electrons move through a circuit. I just... You know, I, I know enough about computers. Right, right. Well, I, I think that's to Mash's point, right? There's a point yeah. where you're just like, this is not something that... Enough. Yeah, well, you know, your brain just does not... I mean, I always found it was like, my brain just does not latch on to this. Mm-hmm. It latches on to other things, but this particular topic, yep. it's like the teacher in Charlie Brown is just like, ah, like I, yep. I want to... I could, I would really try to hard to learn it, but it's not compelled. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there's just something about me that gets excited learning that the difference between capital lowercase layers in ASCII is one bit. And then that part of my brain does not get excited learning about interference across traces. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Every engineer has their history, what led them to doing what they do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that all engineers love to talk about what makes people engineers. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've already kind of touched on that. Yeah, sure. And so I want to ask what led you to being an engineer, like your personal story? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think, uh, you know, in high school, I was I enjoyed math and science. My father was an engineer. So I think I just went into engineering, not really knowing a whole lot about it. I mean, you know, I, I, I honestly, I was like, I don't know what engineering. If you asked me what engineering was, I probably couldn't define it. I probably just went there because I said, that'll get me a job four years from now. But what I find in retrospect is uh, to me, it's a, it's a personality trait. And I, I always wonder if someone was a scientist versus an engineer, how their personalities may differ. But for me as an engineer, what I've always enjoyed is challenges or puzzles, making it work, figuring it out, building something. But I've always found once I've built it, I really don't care to look at it again. I remember like you work really hard and the project finally inverts the binary tree or whatever that you know crazy yeah. interview question is. Once I've tested it and it works, I'm never going to run that problem again or try, yeah, I'm, like, I'm done. But for me, the fun was that whole point up until then. And, and as I was coming here, because I, I was thinking about this question, I was thinking like this is not much different than, you know, if you watch the old days TV, they would always show like the dad or you know, it usually is male, but working under the hood of their Chevy or their pickup truck and they're doing something every night. They're always doing something. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I do. But what I'm doing is on a keyboard and there's a software program behind it and maybe some silicon behind that. But I'm not doing anything much different than that because I'm trying to make something work. I'm trying to improve it. I'm trying to optimize it. I'm trying to fix something that's broken. And I find that my kids at home are like, you know, I'll be doing something and I'll probably be complaining about it. But they, they've they kind of said like, Dad, you really actually enjoy this, don't you? And the, <laughs> the answer is yes, I do. I like building things. I call it building birdhouses. I, I like to build a birdhouse. Some people will build a birdhouse and they'll leave it in the garage. Some people will build it. They'll paint it. Some people will paint it and they'll put it on a pole in the outside. And some people will actually fill it with bird feed at some point. But I enjoy the building of the birdhouse. What, 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 what is that birdhouse? It's what I do every day, right? That's what I enjoy. I enjoy building it. I enjoy solving it. You know, and there's certain areas I'm not really interested in, in solving those type of problems, but the areas I am in, yeah, that's what I like. I like the challenge. I like the puzzle. You know, I, I, to me, it's always a puzzle. Can, can you fix the puzzle? That's kind of how 
my engineering probably so if you come to the origin story the, the origin story is probably very not exciting but i think personality wise i got very lucky that that's where i ended up because that is you know that's what i enjoy one of my favorite like sub genres of the discussion of like what makes engineer an engineer is the early warning signs like oh gosh how do you how, how can you get an early warning that your kid's an engineer oh okay and okay. you know i'm always being told of all my early warning signs like oh my gosh he would not stop building with legos or i'd get calls from the math teacher because he kept taking apart the bell just to see how it worked or yes. random classmates pens did you have any sort of early warning signs you know <laughs> i'm sure i did I'm trying to think of like if I did things like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was sitting in class. I was just constantly taking apart my pen. I assumed <laughs> it was out of boredom, but I, I was taking apart pens. And I, I think that's the silver bullet <laughs> <laughs> on finding out if, you yeah. know. But I, I'm I, guilty I, of that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, another thing I've learned at this internship is a lot of engineers hoard boxes. Um, oh. it, it's like maybe like yeah. a 75% of them like to hoard boxes. I have every Apple product, every Lego oh. box I've ever gotten just in my closet. It takes up too much space. And then whenever one of the interns who doesn't do this asked us and the engineers who are all in the box collecting club said, why do you do it? And they said, well, we might need it someday. Oh, <laughs> I'm in the 25%. I never, I don't collect. <laughs> I, mean, I throw, I throw, but are you Mahesh, it looks like you nodded. Are you guilty of a bit? I, of I save it for a little bit, but then I, I do like getting rid of stuff. So I'd do you like keep, keep a nice, like clean. A nice stash of cardboard just in case, but then you keep it, you know. I recognize my failures, and then I've, I've been able to temper them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's just, do you ask why? Do you ask why? That's, I, yep. I mean, to me, of my three kids, one of them asks why. And you can tell, like, she's like, how does that work? How does that work? That's the engineer. The other two, they're going to, I mean, engineering is probably not the right field for them, but for her... She just wants to know how it works. And it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, to me, engineering could be cooking, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're cooking and you added a spice or you boiled a little longer. You put it on low heat, you put it on medium heat, medium high heat. Did it change the end result? Yeah. You know, yep. is it, was it room temperature water you put in? It was it cold water. I mean, I'll go and, uh, you know, I cook a lot with my mother-in-law now and I'll, I'll drive people crazy with like, okay, today we tried this and, you know, this happened. And, and, and again, it's because I want to know how do I get the end product the way, you know, I did this, did, did it change anything? Did it change anything? And I, so to me, that's to me is engineering, right? That's how, how do I get to where I want to go, right? Why does it, why does the bread rise? I don't know. Did you put, you know, stuff like that? Yeah. And I think for me, what started my path as like an engineer, one was all my early warning signs that, you know, got my mother very scared. I remember if anything broke in my house, my dad would take me to a side room, uh, like with a broken table. The one memory that my yeah. childish brain kept yeah. is our, we had this wooden table in the dining room and my dad handed me all the tools I needed and no more, no less. Yeah. And he said, you're going to look at this table. You're going to think about why it's put together the way it's put right. together. That's right. Yeah. And then you're going to fix it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're going to find the part that doesn't make sense, the part that doesn't click, and then you're going to, you know, click it back in. Yeah. And so that kind of started a horrible repair habit. You know, I, I keep tools in my backpack. Sure. If someone breaks tech in front of me, I'm a menace. And it's because I like going inside of tech and seeing the way it was put together. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, it went from why is this bolt here to why is this ribbon cable here? Right. You know, it's, it's, right. it's right. gone to a level of it's where I'm more advanced now. But, you know, I have to thank my dad for teaching me how to learn how things work and kind of igniting that engineer's interest in right. me. Because like you say, your daughter definitely inhabited that engineer trait. And so I think even though I don't come from engineers, you know, I've seen the way my dad color codes the all the levers on his tow truck. And I'm like, yeah, there's the engineer. Right, there. right. There's, yeah, that's right, right. Yeah. Engineering doesn't just have to be mechanical yeah. computer. I mean, it can be in a lot of fields, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a it's a quirk of caring about things that people don't typically find interesting that that's yes and that's i'm told that constantly so because <laughs> <laughs> i'll ask a lot of questions be like why why do you care <laughs> I, I think i think in the end it's about why does it work how does it work you know so i think that's you know and again if you kind of take it again to what we do here at ampere or you know or any tech company mm -hmm. right the, the problems as you said are not so rote they're not going to be Oh, it's a Thevenin equation or reduction or, or, or the guy who does it with the inductors, right? 
it's always like, oh, this doesn't work. Well, but okay, but this piece interacts with that piece, which interacts with that piece, and oh, you know, that's happening over here, and 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 so and so's code does this, and you're piecing all these simultaneous things in your head, and you're trying to think like all these because it, because it's never just like oh my code ran and it's it's in a silo. There's a lot of things happening, and you're piecing all these different confluence parts together. And then you're kind of like, oh, this is possibly what's occurring. This is possibly, and then you run your experiment. And it sometimes, you know, the great thing about engineering, especially the types of things, it's just there's five problems. It's not one problem. And you may actually fix three other problems that were actually there but weren't the issue along the way. So I, I think that's kind of, you know, again, how does it work? Why does it work? And you're not just concerned about your little piece. You're concerned about all the other pieces because, you know, like like I said, the, the easy problems are easy. Like they take no time. It's just the tough problems that we all work on. And I kind of joke with people when we get frustrated with the problem. I said, hey, man, if all the problems are easy, only a third of us would be working here because <laughs> that's easy, right? We're all here because the problems are hard and they take time and they take intellect and they take curiosity as to why. And whether you're doing Google Foo or you're talking to somebody, you know, you're like, you're like, hey, how does your part work? Okay, yeah, okay. And they may tell you something and you've learned something and you're like, oh, oh, they said this. And, you know, you may be driving home. You're like, oh, they said this thing. And you talk to them again or you talk to this next person. And then you look in the code and then you run this experiment. And you see this data popped up. And it's, it's like, you know, it's like those detectives in the mystery novels. You're just piecing all these pieces together. But if you don't have that curiosity of how it works, why it works, you're never going to be able to solve the problem, right? And you have to be curious about not just your part, but everything else, right? And I think that's, if if you're in a place doing interesting things, that's in which what I think we are. That's kind of what you have to do, right? You have to understand all those pieces, or you don't have to understand them. Sorry, but you have to have enough to know how they influence what you're what you're working on, or learn or learn how they maybe influence what you're working on. I'll just give you a good war story because this is my favorite war story. Yeah. So I was asked to go look at an I squared C device, and it wasn't it wasn't working. And so my my uh, my tech lead came and said, "Hey, Arjun, please go debug this issue." So I was debugging it, and I was on. It was a Sunday Sunday afternoon, and I was at work because I I wanted to fix figure it out, right? Because that's also I think some part of engineering. I'm like I can't let it drop. So I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out, and suddenly it works. And I, I gave myself the pat on the back. I'm like, Arjun, you're so good at what you do. <laughs> you know, this is why you know you're an engineering marvel and. All these great things, and you know, da 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 da. da and I'm just start the autobiography, right? Yeah, Maybe you know, deal. victory, right? Victory. No one could solve this, but only me, right? So mm -hmm. I solved it. Came in Monday, I was ready to tell my boss, hey, and then I like it failed immediately, <laughs> failed immediately, and I was like, what? What just happened? It was working for Sunday for like an hour, and I sat there and I sat there, and I'm like, what's going on? And I was getting frustrated, and da 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 da, da. and then I said, you know. I'm really hot today, whereas yesterday in the lab, I was very cold. The AC was running really strong, but today the AC seems to not be running. Or, you know, maybe it was raining and it was sunny then. Turned out the part we were talking to was very temperature sensitive. And so we got the heat gun out, put it on the part, or we froze it. I don't know what we did, but basically we proved that if the thing got a little too hot, it kind of went berserk or went awry and it caused the whole system to hang. And I was like, well, there you go. But that's it. Like, I mean, I was I was doing all the circuits. I was doing all the digital signals. I was doing all the programming. It seemed right. And it's like, oh, but, you know, yesterday I was cold. Today I'm not. And yesterday it worked and today it didn't. So could it be the heat? And so it's kind of like, again, and, and I, I will say, by the way, I remember a problem somebody else solved maybe 10 years prior. And I said, Bruce, how did you know it was a temperature issue? Because when he solved it, I was like, I don't know how you would have figured that out. Right. He solved it. I was like, this is, I'm like, what, how would you even know to think that? And it stuck in my mind because I was like, I don't know why this guy did that. How did he solve it? It's just an absolute mystery to me. And I think it's just always sitting in the back of my head. And if, honestly, if I had not talked to Bruce about that problem 10 years prior, I could still be working on that I squared C issue to this day. <laughs> right. But again, it's, it's, it's curiosity. It's curiosity. Yeah. And the experience, you experienced someone debugging that and it kind of stuck in the back of your mind. And when you keep collecting these war stories from other people and you talk to other folks about their problems, that also becomes part of your tool set. You may not even know. Yes, it. That's, a, that's a great way. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's definitely about building a toolkit over the years of just yes. these little solutions to pull out. Like I did phone repairs, like a side job in college, and I remember learning all these little 
tricks to just kind of get things to work. Yeah. Um, you know, learning, uh, oh, if you use your tweezers, you can clean out the port really well. Or if you need to get through the phone, we had all these different methods for different types of phones, like different types of razors and grips. And, and then you bring that into like an engineering mindset. You have all these little coding tricks. Yes. And I've learned just a lot working here because every programmer here is way more seasoned than me. And then hearing you guys talk about war stories, I've learned that there's a level of toolkit where it your toolkits become so large that you have to trade them in stories, the new tools. <laughs> your stories have to, yeah, your new tools come with stories. Yeah. Because, They're not just fun little hacks anymore. Well, I mean, and I think the stories come from something that you had to solve. Yeah. Right. I mean, if something just works, there's no story, right? It's when you find a problem and then you solve it. And it was a interesting problem with perhaps an interesting solution. That's where the war stories come from yeah. and, and, and the toolkit and the, you know, whatever guidelines you may have so that you don't have to experience that again, right? Because sometimes it may have taken you a long time. It may have been a frustrating problem and you're like, oh, okay. And if it turns out to be actually your problem, something you did, then, you know, you may be like, yeah, I don't want to do whatever that thing was a second time, mm-hmm. right? Because that's really tough. It cost me a lot of time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's experience, it's experience. And that's why the tool exists also. If the problem wasn't there, then the tool would have never been made. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've also come to understand that, like how much of engineering is a constructive activity, the way that everything builds up more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Everything has a legacy to it. I'm a rookie. And so when I have a problem, I'm going to go back and read threads on the Internet from like 12 years ago. <laughs> and so, you know, you talk about the stories, you talk about the toolkit. It's like these are all problems that are new. And then they're solved and then they keep passing on. And now there's today's problems, which build upon yesterday's problems. And mm-hmm. you have to, you know, put your tools together in a new way, make some new tools. And then that's how, that's why we're all here. <laughs> right. That's right. I tell our junior engineers, we, we call them the JV team, the junior varsity. Nice. We tell them that you're, you're going to be solving problems that our generation couldn't even conceive of. And we're trying to prepare you for that with the the learnings and the toolkits and so on, but really like the experience so that when you hit those roadblocks, you're able to craft tools for how to get around that. Yeah, I, I would say, though, Mahesh, I sometimes feel like we run into sometimes almost the same. It, it's it's the same fundamental issue in a whole new context. You know, yeah. in, in the end, it's like it's just not fast enough. Oh, the interrupt runs too long. This is just, and you're like, okay, I've solved this problem like 50 oh, times yeah. before, but it's a whole new environment. And it, <laughs> it, 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 you know, you're just like, okay, and what are my constraints? What's going on? What's this mean? Who's doing what? Okay, and how am I going to get from here to there? There's a running joke in our industry about um, you're trying to solve this problem. And you look back 50 years ago and you're like, oh yeah, IBM already solved it. <laughs> you you try to do something oh ibm already filed a patent on it like in you know 1965 everything's already been done right now we're just doing it in silicon or we're doing it in quantum or whatever you call it right, right. whatever metric or medium that you're in you have to solve a distributed computing problem or a networking problem it's just now in the chip it's in silicon somewhere else and uh there's nothing new under the sun yeah i mean i mean i mean right. in some ways but but it you know it is it is it's the context right it's the, the context, context that matters yeah context right it's and it's the constraints you know the constraints yep. they may have had uh, thirty years ago at IBM are not our constraints but we have our own exactly right so so we look to those papers and literature to guide us into how to solve the current problems that we have and really that's the technique no one yep. came before you yep absolutely I think I have a unique perspective along with the other interns and people my age is that. We grew up with computers that were already like unbelievably advanced. You know, my first computer was a MacBook laptop that I watched YouTube on. Okay. I got it for Christmas. Sure. And so for me, it's always hard to remember how new computers are mm-hmm. on a general like historical scale. Because for me, they've always been around. They've always been these magic machines that have YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, I've lived – I've – I can't remember a pre-smartphone. I remember smartphones coming out. I don't remember a pre-smartphone. Sure. And, you know, I asked my mom. She can remember pre-internet, and that just eludes me, the idea of new right. internet. Right. And so when it comes to engineering, I always think, oh, this is something that's been done 
forever. Everyone understands everything. <laughs> and, you know, you guys are talking about like old IBM patents that were done forever ago. For me, it's that tenfold because it's like every problem I run into, it feels like I get shocked at how recently it was solved because I feel like things should be solved. Everything's been solved because computers have always been a thing in my life. And so I can't imagine that they relatively haven't been around that long at all. Right. There's there's a lot of unexplored ground, especially like we're at a company that is one of the most successful attempts at the ARM server chip. Yep. You know, we're talking about extreme levels of efficiency. For me, it's like there's that level of improvement still to be found. You you think we'd be hitting peak computer at a certain point, but now we're hitting these crazy speeds with crazy efficiency. And it's like, I am excited to jump into this field because it feels like there's so much room to still go. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, yeah, because yeah, you, you can get this feeling, you know, at my age of everything's hit the point where it's solved, it works. You can't imagine the iPhone going much farther <laughs> because it's already such a crazy device. And then, you know, then I started working here and I saw... I remember looking at the data sheet for the Ultra Max and then seeing the power draw. And I looked at a competitor's chip and I was just like floored because of just like they do all that to, for the same performance. Yes. But, you know, it takes a that much that many watts compared to this. And it's I was like, so, yeah, you guys are talking about old patents and IBM and, you know, old solve problems. And it's a similar perspective, but it's like wholly different just because of my relationship with computers, sure. you know, you guys have had room to see them grow a lot. For me, I've seen a MacBook turn into a nicer MacBook. Well, well, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably, you know, it's an interesting like perspective. But what I've always kind of come back to is like my first work computer ran, I think is a 33 megahertz or maybe 66 megahertz. It had the turbo button, um, <laughs> you know, 13 inch screen, all, yeah. you know, I, I think it was still Windows, but, you know. 13-inch screen. And, you know, I think as you were talking, I was saying, like, we're always at peak computer, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is peak ac application is always one step ahead, right? So, you know, this laptop we have here, it's running at a gigahertz or wh whatever it's running at. I mean, if you went to somebody in 1995 and said, I'm going to give you a gigahertz laptop that weighs two pounds, I mean, they would have been like, why? What do you need it for? <laughs> right? Like, what do you need? What do you, why would you need that? Like, this seems overkill. And yet... Now we're like, oh, it's so slow. It's so slow, right? Like, you know, they put all the virus software on there and all this other stuff and you're running, you know, your editor and all these other things and it's slow. And so then you're like, okay, yeah, because they keep adding applications, the applications get more interesting. And yeah, I mean, you know, something's going to come along where suddenly it's like, well, everything's 3D or hologram or whatever. And suddenly maybe an iPhone is like cool still, but you need twice the power. You know, and, and, it, and so the needs or the demands of what we do in computing just keep pushing the bounds. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember this other question. This is 1992. And I think someone, uh, a particular semiconductor company came on campus and they said, hey, if you ask a good question, we'll give you a T-shirt. And I couldn't think of any good questions, but I remember a kid in the back said, hey, why would you need 100 million transistors on a chip? And the guy's like, great question. And he threw him a thing. And he's like, yeah, we're at like 50 million or whatever. Yeah, I don't know why we would ever be at 100 million. And I don't know what we're at now. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like even there, someone in the industry is like, yeah, I don't know why we would ever be that big. We're at challenging the laws of physics point. Right. Of right. Yeah, now. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's uh, I just remember that question. And I was like, yeah, like. Peak application versus peak computer. Right. It's always the race. So. So there's been one thing that I've asked pretty much any professional engineer that's given mm -hmm. me the time of day, mm -hmm. and that is throughout your career, you've worked on a lot of different things. What has been the most fun thing you've ever worked on? Yeah, I think if I think about it, I mean, as an engineer, as actually doing a development, I found interesting was probably way back in my early days, you know, as a Qualcomm. Qualcomm is on the leading edge of cell phone technology. Mm -hmm. And so... The nice thing about that is whenever Qualcomm did something, they were essentially the first in the world to do it. And so we I was on a team that did, um, you know, when you do Internet on your phone, now it's in the megahertz and incredibly fast. But at a period of time, it was slower than, you know, your your modem. 
but there was a particular standard that came out that was faster. And so I was part of the team that got to implement a particular part of the stack that did internet over the phone. At, I think it was like 153 kilobits per second. And I, it was cool in retrospect because when we had it working in the lab, that's the only lab on the planet that had it working, right? So that's kind of cool. Now, I mean, to be fair, I think any good engineer could have done what I what I had done, but I was lucky to be in that spot. It was a good team to work with, an incredibly collaborative team to work with, and it was kind of a greenfield project, meaning the code didn't exist. So I got to write the code, and then I got to test it, and you know it was important. But overall, if you really were to ask me, like that was probably interesting, but I don't think I necessarily have a favorite project because to me they're all just puzzles, all <laughs> just something to solve. Can you figure it out? Can you figure it out? And I, I get personally, there's that feedback loop of it worked or the debug got further and the debug got further. It's like that game civilization. You know, if I wait another 40 days, I'll get a plane. And then if I go another 80 days, it's the same thing. You're like, oh, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. And I don't know how many times I've been walking to the car and I've turned around because on the way to the car, I had a thought. And I'm like, hey, man, if I just spend another 20 minutes, this this could be it. This could be this. So those those are the things I've always enjoyed. I've always enjoyed just figuring it out. Yeah, if, if I had one particular is the one I told you about, but I had to think hard about that. So instead of a favorite project, you'd say you have more of like a collection of favorite moments from different projects, like maybe like a wide array of just... Yeah, I mean, it's that itch of the project that, yeah, you know. it's, it's, it's like that I squared C problem I told you about. I mean, I felt when I figured the heat gun showed it was a problem, like, yeah, touchdown, right? You know, that's yeah. that's it. Like, I figured that out. And, and uh, it's, it's in retrospect, a pretty simple problem. But that's what I've enjoyed. And I mean, the things that have frustrated me are the things I couldn't figure out. Then you're just like, oh, man, like, you know, I, I, I'm out of my depth. So I, I don't think I have a favorite, but um, I just like to go dig. Yeah. I, I remember working on my project, I finally got some time on an Ampere 1 machine, and I got an error to push to the server, and then it showed up on the other end. And I remember like leaning over my desk to the other end and said, I did it! And he <laughs> says, you did what? And I said, I did it! <laughs> and I just went off to my mentor to tell him before yeah. I even <laughs> explained. Yeah. I remember, yeah, it's just that that moment where it's like it clicked. And it clicks. Like, I did it. And then, you know, because so much of the fun is fixing the problem, once I'd fix it, I'm like, all right, cool, move, move on. on. <laughs> yeah. That's right, move on. Find the next one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to sit there and just stare at it, like, look at this, guys, I did it. No, I'm no, like, no. all right, all right, cool. Move next on. one, though? Next one. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Awesome. So, Arjun, yes. uh, you know, we've spoken to you for for a little bit of time now, and I just want to acknowledge you are the leader of a software, a firmware team over there, and you spoke a little bit about the three kids that you have at home and the cooking that you do with your mother-in-law. I'm just kind of wondering, like, how do you do it all? How are you able to, like, have it all, have a great family life and, like, you're a leader in your field and so forth? Like, can you share anything about that? Wow. Um well, I, I think a lot of it comes, uh, there's a lot of support at home. You know, my wife, I mean, she takes on a lot. I and mean, with three kids, you know, I, I think I'm kind of that stereotypical dad where I'm just like, who am I driving where at what time? Uh, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you why or, you know, I'm given very detailed instructions. So first is a lot of support. There's a lot of support. And then I think the other part is just, I mean, there are hours, right? I mean, you got to put in the work. It's not magic. And then, you know, just working with good people, right? Interesting projects. I think that's it, you know, and I think you have to kind of make some time for the things you want to do, see how you can juggle what you need to juggle. But I think, you know, sometimes it's hard to prioritize one thing over the other, but, uh, you know, whether that's family or work or, or whatever, but you have to kind of make those conscious decisions. And I appreciate that, Mahesh, uh, you know, it's a nice way you framed it. Uh, sometimes we take it for granted. Yeah, I, I think it's... it's um, it's yeah. special. It's it's good to acknowledge that. And it shows that we are not just drones who go to the office every day. We are holistic folks who combine their work and their life. And engineers in particular, when the laptop shuts down, it doesn't mean that the problem has left our head. Exactly. Yes. And we bring that into our home life. And maybe you're sitting there at the dinner table and then you're off in another world. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I know how to solve that problem now. Yes. And your family is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that is that is a challenge. That is a challenge. Yeah. I mean, how many times in the shower yep. or on the way to the car driving do you? Well, 
don't know if you necessarily solve it, but you have an idea. <laughs> yep. You have an idea, right? Yep. And uh, that is that is the challenge of engineering. I'm not even married, but I couldn't have gone through this internship without my girlfriend. My dog has to stay at daycare because he has some anxiety issues, and she's picking him up today so I could do this podcast. Yep. Like, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, these um, are the people that help us, and they help support us. Yep, yep. Yeah, so we just went through some amazing engineering stories, the justifications of why we are engineers and and the the motivations for why we do what we do. And it's it's been a really good time. Justin, like, thank you so much for coming and prepping this podcast for us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and Arjun taking the time to, to actually come on board and, and answer these questions. That was, that was really eye-opening. Thanks, Mahesh and uh, Justin. This was, a, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I just want to say I'm, I really appreciate the both of you. I'm so jazzed to to get you on here and, and chat. You know, some people don't know that this podcast started as an experiment, and now we're more than 20 episodes in, and I never thought it would go this long. We're, we've been helping a lot of folks understand the industry, knowing about the different kinds of jobs that exist in the semiconductor field. So to come on here and share your stories and your enthusiasm you know, I, I love sharing these stories and you're helping out so many folks. I really appreciate you and, and I, I can't say like how wonderful it's been. So thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks, Ahesh. Thank you.